This is Brandon M. Crooker, and you're listening to the Apostolic Theory Podcast. This podcast is brought to you in part by the Pentecostal Periodical Magazine, a 501c3 ministry with writers who believe and live apostolic doctrine. A few writers include Kelly Nix, Scott Phillips, Samantha Thrash, Neil Purcell, Larry Chocklin, Jeff Arnold, and more. You can subscribe at www.pentecostalperiodical.com. If you would like to join our writing team or would like to make a donation, email us at info at pentecostalperiodical.com. Today we've got a very special guest with us. I'm so excited. Um, This is actually probably one of my... uh, quickest interviews uh in in the manner of being able to connect and and make it happen and record it um but i'm very excited about this topic well first of all because i'm very passionate about both of the sort of uh things we're going to be talking about today um so so i'm just very excited uh we have with us uh brother darren davis um again incredible uh man of god very excited um, heard nothing but great things about him. Uh, but with, without further ado, uh, brother, would you just introduce yourself, tell the audience a bit about you, your ministry, and where you are right now, and uh, we'll go from there. Meg, yeah, I would love to talk about it. Thanks again for this invitation. It's absolutely an honor to participate. I do uh, appreciate it very much. A little awkward setting for me, but uh, with COVID, we had to get used to doing this. And so uh, I'm honored, absolutely honored. And I hope that something that's said tonight uh, will be beneficial. Again, I'm Pastor Darren Davis. I pastor Living Word Church uh, in Alabama. We uh, started with uh, one campus in Eclectic, Alabama. And uh, as of last Sunday, we just launched our third campus. Uh, We have a campus in Millbrook, Alabama, and one in Rockford, Alabama. So uh, uh, small churches, home missions, launching campuses, multi-campus, man, it's my heartbeat. I love it. Amen. Praise God. Well, um, so I I would love to hear a little bit about um, how that sort of uh, transpired and 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 how that all um, ha- happened um, and, yeah. and what does a what does a multi-campus uh, church look like? Yeah, man. So there there are many patterns for this, but you're obviously uh, touching on my candy stick. Uh, there there are a lot of patterns for this idea of multi-campus. I know a lot of guys, even within the United Pentecostal Church, have different ways that they are they are handling it, doing it, organizing it, and administrating it. Uh, my uh, one of my very good friends, Pastor Anthony Cox, out of Harvey, he just launched, I believe, his his fifth campus. What what I do know about multiple campuses is number one, the multi-campus concept is confusing for much of our of our movement. I'm in the state of Alabama, and uh, especially in the state of Alabama, it 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 uh, is quite confusing. Had a conversation even today with my district superintendent, who I love very much, and we were talking about this multi-campus idea and how that it brings 
confusion to a traditional pastor. He don't understand it. And so I appreciate so much the opportunity to talk about it. So several years ago, the Lord dealt with me in a big way about the need uh, to start churches and to start several of them. At first, I felt like maybe he was going to be moving me all over the country. I was going to go here and start a church and then turn it over and then go somewhere else and start a church. But I noticed something about young ministers. Young ministers uh, sometimes uh, are thrown into positions as senior pastors in oftentimes smaller churches, and they are beat literally to death. It becomes a very painful experience many times because they don't have a support system. They're thrown out into a city or they're sent to a, uh, a ministry somewhere, maybe in a small town. Uh, they're given some money, maybe given a building, and, and the district says, man, go for it. And then these young ministers go at it literally all alone, uh, and they try their best to dig out a work. I was talking with a pastor today that said he loves uh, or he appreciates this concept because he has started daughter works that have failed. And the reason they failed is because there was no support system. So this concept of campus is simply this. There is a main campus, which in our case is Living Word Church Eclectic. And then from Living Word Church Eclectic, we send out uh, anointed men uh, uh, and women of God that have proven themselves. They may not be perfect. They're certainly not perfect. They are novices in many, if that's a word, not, they are uh, novices in many, many ways. Uh, but they have a desire to do a work for the Lord. And so as the senior pastor, I am still the senior pastor. I don't cease being that. But we'll send a family, a young man, young lady. We will send this couple to a small rural community. We take care of their building. We take care of their utilities. We take care of all the counseling. We handle all the financial aspect of it. And what I tell my campus guys is you have one obligation, and that's to preach and teach, pray people through to the Holy Ghost. Ministry is all I want you doing. And so because the main campus is established, we have counselors. We have people that know how to counsel. We have finance committees. We have all of that at the main campus. And so when we send out um, a novice for, uh, it's the only word I know how to use, when you send out a novice, uh, they don't have the burden of rent that's due, bills that are due, how do I counsel this family? They don't have to worry about any of that. All they do is preach and teach, and then if there's counseling needs, they send them uh send them to our counseling team. If there's financial issues within the church, it's handled by our finance committee. So what that has done is it has freed us up with our ministers and it's given them such a grand opportunity. I remember when I pastored my first church, God bless those people. If I could go back and apologize to them, I would. 21 years old, my friend, and I'm telling you, I didn't know what I was doing. I caused more harm to those good people than I did 
good. And it's because I didn't have a support system behind me that could help me navigate the journey. This campus idea is radical. And it's, it's, it's giving young ministers who may not uh, who may not be ready to launch out into a full pastorate, but it's giving these young ministers an opportunity to get their feet wet and take some preaching and teaching obligations and duties. And then as that church grows, as that campus grows, that pastor will take more and more and more responsibility. And then his ultimate objective is to start another campus and then he'll become a senior pastor with a campus ministry under him. So that's kind of the the concept behind it. And uh, man, it's working. It's working. It's working so well. It's working surprisingly well. Now, we've had bumps in the road. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to insinuate that it's all been roses. But just in normal pastoring, you have bumps in the road. You go through difficulties and challenges within the church. So it's, I'm not trying to insinuate that it's a that it's a bed of roses. But what I am what I am saying is uh, that even though it's not a bed of roses, it is an incredible avenue for 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 starting more works. Uh, we launched our Rockford campus Sunday afternoon at six o'clock. Had twenty three people there. Had five from the community and had one in the altar at the end of service seeking God. First service in our Millbrook campus, same way. We started it. Here's what's powerful about this company. Man, you got me going now. You interrupt me whatever you want. (laughs) One of the things that, that was so exciting about this concept is that from the eclectic campus, we'll start talking about where we're wanting to launch the next campus. We'll, we'll talk about Millbrook. We'll talk about Rockford. We'll talk about Clanton. We'll talk about these areas. We just discuss it. Without question, within the church, there is a group of people, sometimes five. With Rockford, there was eight or 10 that said, Pastor, I want to go to Rockford and I want to help support Tim Martin. They're all required to be at the Eclectic Campus on Sunday morning. So the Rockford Campus starts at 6 o'clock Sunday afternoon. The Millbrook Campus starts at 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. And so this team that says, I want to volunteer, they go with the campus pastor. And they're there every Sunday. They're a great support group for him in music, prayer, you name it. They're there to help him. And their commitment is for six months. What ends up happening, those, they end up staying much longer. They're all involved in ministry. They're engaging. They're busy. They're doing something. They feel the weight of responsibility, and they love it. This, I believe, is is a powerful, incredible method for establishing churches. Um, I, I, I I was talking to my bishop today. I was also talking to Pastor Cox, uh, who's done some campuses, and and he cautioned me about something, which I appreciate. I'm very, very passionate. I'm very, very passionate. Uh, Not too long ago, I believed every pastor should be doing campuses. And if you weren't, you were probably lost and going to hell. I mean, I was just so passionate about it, right? And then uh, after heeding the counsel of these great men of God in my life, I realized that 
every man's vision is not my vision. They have a vision, and and I don't view them as less, and I pray they don't view me as in competition with them either, because that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to compete. I'm just trying to say, hey, here's a viable option for church growth. Here's a viable option for establishing churches. Uh, consider it. Just give it a shot. And if it works, wonderful. If it doesn't, no big deal. You gave it You gave it a shot. So that's that's my passion with it, man. Yeah. Um, I, I really like that idea. And, well, part of it is because I personally feel my vision is that every single city in the in the United States and, and even in the world has at least one apostolic needs it church absolutely so even and 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 God help us in Maine um, we we do have we have a lot of this this competitive spirit preach right now man where just because uh, I mean I mean some of our towns we you could it would take you like probably four or five hours to get from one end of Maine to the other. Yeah. We don't have an entirely huge population, but we have a lot of ground to cover. Yeah. Well, one end of Maine, you could have, I don't know, maybe a couple thousand people in, in, a, in, a, in a city. Right. Where some you may have as little as a couple hundred. Right. Obviously, you know, you're bigger cities need multiple churches you're right yeah and why are we so worried about competition yeah it's not about stop worrying about whether or not you're going to lose a ties pair because you're still doing the work of the lord that is so good that is so good and and bro that that is not just an issue in maine now i have i I served in the Florida District United Pentecostal Church. Uh, out of out of the districts that I've been in, and uh, uh, you know, I'm going to try to be mature here and, and guard my words because I don't hold odd or ill feelings against anyone. But in Florida, uh, several years ago, they, if I'm not mistaken, I may be saying this wrong, they either doubled or nearly doubled the number of churches that they have in the state of Florida. Either they doubled it or nearly doubled it. This was several years ago. And um, I was blown away by it. I was just amazed. So what happened? What has to happen? Number one, the culture of a district, this is strictly my opinion, the culture of a, of a district has got to get rid of that competitive attitude. I'm not competing against anyone. Uh, can you still hear me? Yes, sir. Okay. I lost uh, lost one of my earbuds there. Uh, I am not competing against anyone. No one. Uh, the town of Eclectic, the population is 1,000. We had, uh, I believe, 90 on Sunday. The population of Rockford is 450. We had 23 uh, in our campus there. The population in Millbrook is a lot bigger. It connects to Montgomery and, uh, we're, uh, th- that church is growing as well. Uh, we have outgrown our current facility to hold about 40 and we are, we're at max. We, we got to find a new building. 
So my thoughts are, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. I'm not competing with you. You're not competing with me. Now, I'm going to say this. I don't know that this is accurate, but it could be confrontational. Um, In the business world, we would say this. Whenever there is conflict, follow the money. We would say that in the political world as well. Whenever there is unresolved issues or things that aren't right, follow the money. And when you follow the money, it's going to land where the problem is, generally. And I, and I believe you hit the nail on the head when you said that. I think a lot of times the reason that we are scared, we don't allow ministries in, and we don't release ministries to go, is for that very reason. I think it is a dollar and cents deal. I really, really do. I hate to say that, but in my spirit, I feel like that's a lot of times what it is. I've been uh, preached all over the country. I've been to churches and preached where sitting on the pews was five, six, seven anointed men of God. I'm talking preach the house of fire. And they're just itching and waiting for their next opportunity to fill the pulpit. And it won't be for six months. They may get to preach twice a year, right? And then I think to myself, what about the city right next door to you? What about the one right down the street? And if there's if there's a desire in that young man, I wish he would express it. But if, if, if you get that negative feedback, oftentimes it's because uh, because sometimes ministries have a hard time releasing it for financial reasons, tied reasons. It, it really doesn't matter that, what the reasons are. But I, I, would, I think it'd be safe to say that oftentimes it has to do with the money. Wow. I'm sorry, I said that now. No, that's. Let's rewind. I'm not sure you want me on your podcast, my friend. (laughs) Oh well, it's listen, bro. It's already there. Where it's it's, (laughs) this is. You'd be surprised if you go back and you listen to a lot of the a lot of the podcast uh, sessions. Here's the thing: we deal with a lot of stuff, and a lot of it ends up being, in a way, confrontational. That's just the that's the reality. That's what happens when you deal with real stuff. When you talk about things that matter, things that'll change people's lives, their ministries, and and, and edify the body of Christ. Some things will have to be talked about that make us uncomfortable. But that's here's right. the thing: it gets us to where we need to go. If you're 110 percent. So yeah. I mean, and you know, it could it could be sometimes where. The pastor has a, a, a minister under him who has had a negative past or a bad past. or has, Bro, I'm ha- not, you don't get me started there. You'll make me preach. Has made a mistake, has fallen. Right. Can I expound on that? Let's do it. Hey, listen, now I, I hate to use this analogy, but I just want to throw this out there. Well, let's just stir the pot. Tonight. Yeah, why not? <laughs> I, love, I love this analogy, and I'm going to use it. One man's trash is another man's treasure. That doesn't work just in the world of garbage collecting. I have, 
when, when I when I started when I when I got into auto business, I sold cars for a few years. I started in the auto industry as an auto detailer. I was in the garage washing cars all day long. The guy that hired me, when he hired me, he said, man, I know where I'm going to put you. Do you like washing cars? I said, man, I'd love to wash cars. He said, man, come out here. You're going to wash these cars. And he paid me by the car. I wasn't making a lot of money, but I was washing cars. The owner of the company came out, stood over a truck and called me over there to him. I went over and he started talking to me. We got involved in a conversation. He said, why in the world are you washing my cars? And I said, it's what you hired me to do. He said, you are too articulate. You are too well-mannered to be in here washing cars. He said, I want you to come sell. So he approached the general manager who had hired me to wash cars, and the general manager threw a fit, said, no, he's the best car washer we've ever had. And the owner said to me, put on a suit and tie, be here tomorrow morning, Saturday, you're going to sell cars. He didn't know I was a preacher. I put on a suit and tie, showed up. Obviously, my finances went through the roof. My career made a drastic change. I got into the auto industry and sold cars for uh, 10 or 12 years. And, and enjoyed it, moved up to general manager, finance manager, the whole, the whole nine yards, stayed in that industry uh, for 10 or 12 years. My point is this. I don't like it when God puts a young man on my heart and, I call, and, I've, and I've done this. God's woke me up, said, hey, you need to have this young man come preach for you. And, and, and I've called the pastor and I've said, hey. Uh, the Lord dealt with me about having so-and-so come preach for me. How do you feel about it? And the pastor starts that. Uh, well, uh, Brother Davis, uh, uh, I haven't been preaching much lately because uh, he's not faithful to church. He comes uh, to church uh, once every four, four, five weeks. Uh, he's missing He's missing one Sunday a month. He don't come to prayer meeting. Uh, well, do you preach him? Yeah, I, I do preach him, but uh, he's just not ready to preach out. Oh, okay. Well, one pastor's standard of excellence may not be another pastor's standard. You understand what I'm saying? I'm in a small church, bro. I don't need someone that knows how to direct a 200-voice choir and has got singing lessons and knows how to teach piano. I need somebody that can come in and pick three songs for worship and play the piano and sing them well. I don't need a professional choir director. So I think I think one of the things that I struggle with, uh, one of the things that I struggle with is when we, uh, oh, Jesus, help me, <laughs> is when we kill our wounded. I hate it when we do that. I hate it when we disqualify the called. Okay, Jesus said, bro, you messing me up now. <laughs> the word of God says this, and it seems like we've overlooked it. The gifts and callings of God are without, without repentance. repentance. <laughs> There's no way away from it. You can't get away from it. So a God-called preacher with moral failure is going to be miserable he is fulfilling the call of God in his life. God does not remove the call. 
Let me tell you who removes the call or who disqualifies them. We do. Ministry and ministers, who I might add, oh, Jesus, you got me now. And I might add this in a moment of, of sheer transparency. This preacher ain't perfect either. Neither is this one. Hey, I ain't done it all right either, bro. <laughs> all right either i got some i got some skeletons in my closet too i got some stuff that i don't want the district board to know about the difference between me and that man that we're talking about right now that has now been disqualified from ministry the difference is his was made known mine's still a secret wow it kills me it kills me when we disqualify people because something private came public. Now, I know Scripture gives us, you know, if, if this goes on Facebook, where people can comment. I know they're going to blow me up and, and all this. Crap. Well, to be a bishop, you got to be the husband of one wife and all this stuff. Okay, right. I understand. But it doesn't disqualify you from ministry. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> It's gonna You're blow. not going to air this one, are you? Yes, I am. <laughs> you know I am. Listen closely. Oh, God, let, me, let me say this now that I'm pretty fired up. Let me say this. If you didn't call them, you can't disqualify them. Now, you can take their license and you can, you know, uh, you can blackball them and you can label them and you can hurt their ministry and you can cancel your revival with them. Oh, Jesus. But bro, we have mastered the art of murdering our wounded and, and, and we disqualify them and we sit them on seats. And I'm going to tell you right now, here's a pastor right now, Pastor Darren Davis, that would take every wounded minister that he could because a wounded minister, to, to go back into ministry, for someone to give them another opportunity, bro, there's not going to be an ounce of pride in their life. They're going to be, do you know what I'm saying? They're going to be submitted. They're not going to fight you. They're going to say, man, why? Because the call of God has drove them crazy. They can't preach. They can't teach. They can't sing. They got to sit on a pew. They have been why? Because they had a, they had an issue. They had an issue. They got caught with a TV in their house, or they wore shorts fishing with their friends. They had an issue. Uh oh. They grew a beard. They had an issue. Are, are you understanding? Is that making sense? Yes, sir. And so we disqualify all these guys. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Jesus, I can't. <laughs> Let me tell you. We're best there? friends now. We're best friends. <laughs> I got you, bro. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> bro. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we kill our wounded. We kill our wounded. And it, it's a tragedy. It, it's a tragedy. Um, uh, yeah, you, you're never going to be able to, to be able to shake it. Let me tell you just, I, I'm going to be a little bit transparent. I'm be a little bit transparent. I was, I preached literally all over the country. Um, I tell this story a lot. So uh, anyone that's ever heard me preach has probably heard it. And I'm not ashamed of this story at all. Um, I preached all over the country, authored a book 
uh, was traveling all over the country with my book, preaching literally, man, I was everywhere. Uh, was starting to preach in some really, really large churches, significant places. And uh, I went through a very, very, very dark time in my life. No fault of my own at all. Was found to be innocent uh, of all wrongdoing. No moral failure on my part at all. But the question got brought up. And when the question got brought up, my calendar went from booked to empty that fast it's probably the best thing that's ever happened to me because no one understands the plight of the wounded until you've been wounded no one knows the brokenness that a man goes through if he did wrong or if he was just accused of doing wrong no one knows that brokenness, that pain, how long the nights are, how your dreams haunt you. No one knows it until you've walked that road. But when you've walked that road, you develop mercy for people that others cast to the side and disqualify. Wow. We have got to learn the art of restoration. And here's the reason. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost, bro. And here's the reason why we've got to learn it. I'm going to get emotional. Bear with me. Here's the reason why we've got to learn it. The harvest is not the issue. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful. There is no issue with the harvest. The issue is a lack of laborers. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. And we keep disqualifying incredible laborers. We keep disqualifying. We keep casting them to the side. Um, Twelve disciples Jesus chose, anointed every one of them. Twelve of them. They went two by two. They anointed, prayed for, spoke deliverance, cast out devils, healed the sick. In that mix is Peter, ADHD, loud mouth, wielding a sword in the garden, tries to split a man's head in two, misses and gets his ear. Right? Is at the Last Supper, Jesus is washing feet, and he says, you ain't washing mine. Jesus says, I'm going to wash yours, you don't have any place. And he says, well, wash my whole body. He's, he's super, he, he's, he's probably close to just bipolar, super hyper one day, super down the next. Then you've got Thomas. Thomas was not just identified as a doubter when he questioned if Jesus was alive. He was identified as a doubter when Lazarus was about to die. Remember that conversation? And Thomas said, oh, no, we can't go there. Right? So you got a doubter. Guess who else is casting out devils and raising the dead? Judas. He had the power, too. He's skimming off the top, skimming, pocketing money, and he's still one of the 12 that Jesus used. So... I think what we've got to do, 
if we are going to reap the harvest that is in front of us, we've got to start engaging the laborers. Imperfect as they may be, we've got to engage the laborers. Amen. I love the topic of restoration. In fact, I've got a book yeah. that I wrote. Oh, man. Yeah, Restore. And uh, a biblical guide to restoration and reconciliation. And I just yeah. I just tie in biblical examples with my own my own testimony and um, I mean that's what it's all about. Um, yeah. We've got to get on the same page as a movement that and you said it. I mean I couldn't I don't think I could say it better than you did. We didn't call them. We can't disqualify them. We can't disqualify a man. Yeah. And we 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 do this thing where they mess up and they get set down for two years and who's sitting down who oh who sits down the one that set them down? Bro, I mean let's let's be honest here. Let's be honest here. I mean let's let's talk real. If, if we're going to talk real, let's talk real. I get so sick of the hypocritical uh, presentation, the, the pharisaical idea that, that because I'm presenting right, everything's right. No, it ain't right. It's a cover-up. You're in the seat of judgment against others, and you're messed up yourself. We all are. Every one of us are, bro. You know how I know it? Jesus said, he that says he don't have any sin is a liar. That's the book. That's that's the book. Right. I got sin in my life. <laughs> and guess what? Let me get real prophetic. You got stuff you deal with too. And let me get even more prophetic. All these great men of God that we've got on high pedestals and, and, and they're the only ones preaching camps and crusades, they got issues too. We've all oh, got bless it. it. Is that the truth? Yes. It's <laughs> without sin. If God says he ain't got no sin in his life, uh, he's a liar. Now, maybe not, uh, maybe not to the degree that we put on him. You know, he may not be... In, a, in moral failure, but you know, I just we've got we've got to stop this. We've got to stop it. We've got to we got to hold people accountable. Don't get me wrong; I'm not saying just throw everybody out there and let them go at their own whims. We need pastoral authority. We need accountability. We need all of that. I understand it completely. But if we're going to reach our world, we have got to uh, uh, help. We've got to send. We've got to enable, We've, and that's why I love this campus thing. Is my is are my campus guys perfect? No, they're not. I'm not either, by the way. But my campus guys are not perfect. They got stuff they're dealing with, family matters, financial matters. Absolutely, they're dealing with stuff. But boy, they can preach. And man, when they got done Sunday, one was in the altar. So, what more can you ask for? 
Now, is that young man going to be developed? Absolutely. He's going to grow into maturity. He's going to continue his walk in relationship with God. He's going to move further and further into sanctification, holiness, whatever you want to call it. He's going to become more like the Lord wants him to. But I don't, I'm not going to say you've got to reach this point before you're used of God. Let's go ahead and engage you. We'll develop you. We will develop you as you engage. You're going to grow as we're going to disciple you as you are engaging in ministry. Get involved. There's a place for you. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, I might as well say it too, since it's on my mind and we've already said so much. I probably just lost 10 all my subscribers, but <laughs> that's okay. Well, you haven't posted it yet, right? Yeah, so yeah. we're good. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Delete it. Delete no. all of this. This is just a conversation between you and me. Yeah. You know, we, you, you talked about, you know, the, all the guys that we put on pedestals that go and they preach the camps and they preach the, you know, we, in this, they're the superstar preachers. Yeah. And they're the ones that everybody wants to come to their church and probably pay more than they should to do so. They do it. I, I, I listen, I, I preach for pennies, bro. <laughs> yeah. I don't get paid to preach. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, hey, you know, if, if, listen, if you do, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not in any way demeaning uh, an evangelist. I, I hope right. that that's not misunderstood or misinterpreted. But we have created something that I don't think is necessarily biblical. Are you about to use the word idols? Well, I wasn't, but I mean, if you, listen, Paul was a tent maker. Absolutely. He had a job. Yeah, he did. And there's, there's, did. listen, you, you live in a world where you can get a remote job, bro. Yeah. And I don't think that yeah, that yeah. would take away from your ministry and from you preaching. And, and here's another thing that really irks me is when you get a, you get a, a minister that comes in and, and preaches in your pulpit and come time to do some outreach and they're sitting on their rear end and everybody, listen, listen, you're not yeah. called to, you're not called to evangelize if you're not evangelizing and That's preaching good, behind a pulpit is not the end all yeah. be all that's that's the smallest portion of being an that's evangelist so good. that's good so, so someone asked me uh, you know as a pastor i hear i think every pastor has heard this at some point in their ministry uh you only work on sunday and wednesday i am a full-time pastor and uh what i hear you know sometimes people say man you're only working on sunday and wednesday and i laugh at that that is probably the funniest thing ever. Uh, and so I was doing some statistics and trying to figure out what percentage of my time is actually behind the stay or behind the podium preaching. It's less than 10%, less than 10% of what I do as a pastor uh, is, is preaching and teaching. Uh, just let me tell you what I, what I did today. Uh, repairs at the church that had to be done. Not only at one campus, but now three. Uh, uh, we had to put beams under the building in Rockford because the floor is bouncing a little bit. We ran beams underneath the building in Rockford Saturday. Had a great team there to help us. Pouring concrete. 
not to mention the, uh, the the countless calls that a pastor gets all day from people who are who are needing to talk and share and, and uh, the weight of responsibility of, of, of loving others. Here it is, you know, late at night, been engaged in ministry all day, st- still still doing uh, still doing ministry. And so, uh, man, this this life is a busy, busy, busy life in in ministry. Uh, and then the stress. I think Dr. Dobson said that one of the most stressful jobs is the job of a pastor. Highly stressful, highly stressful job. And I understand all of that. Uh, I understand all that weight and all that obligation. And so I do have a little bit of an issue um, along the same lines of what you were just saying with these uh uh, you know, evangelists that come in and all they, they you know, sleep till two and, and preach and go have fried chicken and go back and sleep again. Yeah, I do struggle. I do struggle with that as well. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with you on some of that. I'm, I'm certainly thankful to be a pastor, but I'll be honest, when I was an evangelist, I said this to somebody the other day. <laughs> I hate to admit this. I said this to somebody the other day. I said, pastoring is a challenge, man. It's the toughest thing I've ever done in my entire life. I get paid less pastoring than I did when I was an evangelist, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> I get less sleep, and I eat less fried chicken than what I did when I was an <laughs> Give me your address. I'll door dash you some. <laughs> Bro, I, I, and, and I, mm. I know there'll be all. You're gonna you're gonna lose all your followers. That's okay. The the work of an evangelist is certainly part of the fivefold ministry. Mm. We don't discredit that at all. We understand we understand right. its purpose, um, and we we appreciate apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and and evangelists. But uh, yeah, yeah, I do I do miss the I do miss the. Uh, Late nights, fried chicken, sleeping into every day. Yeah, yeah. I never got that, so God bless oh, you, bro. Lord. God bless you, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and all the other evangelists. <laughs> Lord help us. Oh man, but here's the thing: there is hope for everybody. There's, you know, yes. there's a place for everybody in the body of Christ, and there is a place um, everybody under the sound of my voice to be sound super spiritual has a purpose and a plan and your ministry may not look like what my ministry looks like or what pastor davis's ministry looks like you know the bible talks about a ministry of helps yeah you know that's good that means that there's a place for you if it's not behind a pulpit to help there yeah. are people with gifts that uh, you know, of administration, people that can be administers. Oh, hallelujah! Administrators. Yeah. They're they're the ones that they do all the work behind the scenes and they organize things, and that's fine. So critical. A, they're so critical. And there's a place for that. Yeah. And there's also a place for for the the people that you know when they. I just wish that we could all be as excited as we were when we first got the Holy Ghost. Oh, bro. Wow. What a profound statement. 
what a profound statement. Yeah, me too. Um, you, let's just be real, brother. What we need is a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost. Every so day. Not, not this made up stuff. I shouldn't say made up <laughs> stuff. But you know, we, we've, some of us have spoken tongues for so long that it's like a second language. We don't know what we're saying, but it sounds the same every time we say it. And uh, I remember I remember praying when I went through my very, very dark season. I remember hitting the couch and saying, God, baptize me fresh with the Holy Ghost. I want, and bro, it was just like when I was eight years old. Tears were flowing, stammering lips came, that whole deal lifted my hands, and out of me came uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost just rested on me, and out of me came a fresh, powerful thing. And it it saved me. It helped me in that very difficult, challenging season of my life and recovered me. You know, it recovered me. And I, And I agree with you. What we need is a move of God. That's what we need. But here, here's the problem. It isn't that God isn't moving. It's that we're hindering him. Now, now let, let me tell you a story. Are we out of time? No, keep going. Let me tell you Listen, this we'll story. We'll go an hour and 40 minutes. I don't care. Now, and you may disagree with this. I, I, a lot of people have. But I, I probably share. won't. <laughs> I want to share it with you. I, uh, I went to a uh, minister's meeting in town at the local coffee shop, uh, a councils of some type, minister's council, whatever they call them things. I was invited to be there. I hadn't been here long. I got there. And uh, it was, I was, I'm a United Pentecostal, Pentecostal preacher. Beside me was a charismatic Pentecostal guy, Holy Ghost field. And then there was a Catholic minister. There was a, uh, two, there was two or three Baptist preachers. And then sitting directly, to, or to my left, directly across from, uh, the guy that was leading it was a Methodist pastor. Uh, and so we opened it up for discussion. The Methodist pastor grabbed a paper and he said, gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Bro, this is the most profound thing. He said, I want to ask you a question. And he said, uh, I was praying the other day. My prayer got very, very intense. And he's holding this paper, bro. He said, my prayer got very, very intense. He said, while I was praying, I said these words. He said, while I was praying, I said these words. And he's reading off that paper. Bro, it was the funniest thing I've ever heard. So he starts reading these words. He said, I tried to write them down as soon as I said them. And it was like, Shanda, you know, kind of deal. And he's reading this. And he says, I don't know if I got them all. He said, this is just a small portion of what I said that I could remember. He said, but I got lost in that for a minute or two. He said, do any of you understand what that means? So the the Catholic guy was next. He said, well, no, I don't understand. Sounds like it may be some ancient, you know, language, you know, that's forgotten or whatever. Well, it got to me and I just passed. It was my first ministerial meeting. And it got to this charismatic pastor. And this charismatic pastor looked at him and said, I'll tell you exactly what's happened to you. You were filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And he looked at me and I said, I agree. If you were speaking in tongues, that's what he said. That's speaking in tongues. He said, if you were speaking in a language that you don't know in prayer to the Lord, that was speaking in tongues. That Methodist pastor, several months later, walked into a, a, a place of business where I was at and he spun around on his heels and he said, are you okay? 
I said, yeah, I'm fine. What he didn't know is I had just gone through a, a, a rough thing with my children, very bad thing with my children. And he said, are you sure you're okay? I said, yes, sir, I'm okay. He said, do you mind sharing with me what's going on in your life? And I said, no, sir, I'm not sharing it with you. And he said, can I pray with you? And I said, yes, you can. He laid his hands on me and he began to pray the most specific, profound, prophetic prayer. I didn't tell him nothing. And that joker's reading my mail. When he got done praying for me, the weight lifted off of me, the depression, the burden, the heaviness. I got in my car. I drove to the church and I was in tears and I recorded a video that's had, you know, 12, 15,000 views, something like that. But in that video, I talked about our apostolic arrogance, how we feel like we're the only ones that got it, that nobody else is going to experience it but us. And what I'm discovering, bro, is God's baptizing Methodist people with the Holy Ghost, Baptist people with the Holy Ghost, Catholics are receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. My dad attends a church. It's a Baptist church. I went to that church. They baptize in Jesus' name. They receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. I am blown away that sometimes we feel like like we've got the corner on this market, and bro, we don't. In the last days, saith God, I'm going to pour my Spirit out on all flesh. All flesh. Methodist. Baptist, and I'm going to tell you something. Oh, I feel it in the Holy Ghost, and I'm going to say it. I don't mean to make anybody mad, but I'm going to say it. If we keep this mentality that we've got the corner on this market, don't be surprised when God jumps right over the first Pentecostal church of holiness saved by grace and pours it out on your Methodist brother right up the street. And they start seeing miracles, signs, and wonders, having breakthroughs, God healing marriages and saving. Because God don't owe me nothing. You don't owe me nothing. You don't owe me nothing. And he's going to pour his spirit out. I don't want to be left in the dust. I don't want to be left in the dust. I want to receive it. I want, I want to. I want. Our, I want my city to receive it. I want my campuses to have. I don't want him to bypass me and give it to somebody else. I want a move of God. Amen. Yeah. I think that there is not a not a better way to close out this session than than that. That that's that's what it's got to be all about. It's got to be all about allowing God to have His way, because when we get in the way. And we get we get so high and we get so mighty and 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 really what that is is we, we become prideful. And oh what yeah. We need is is humility and to be humble. Yeah. This podcast is made possible because of listeners like you, who are willing to bridge the gap. We now have a sponsorship program on our Anchor website in which you can become a monthly sponsor of $1, $5, or $10 a month. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook.